What's up, everybody? Another episode of The Straight Cut coming to you from Weston Cigars Conway in the main room. A little bit different for us uh, tonight, Mark. It is. It is. We don't have Steve. Steve is out Yeah, we kicked somewhere. Steve to the curb. Steve, yeah. St- Steve is out doing his uh, general stuff, you know, living that life. But we finally have... One of That's our an air joke. I, 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 I feel like we should general stuff. <laughs> right. All I know is he was able. He was able to find me golf balls day at Costco. So that's the, that's the best thing. That's I a good seen. man. That's the thing. I, I, I do, they have I golf do balls here at this Costco. No, they don't. Trust me. Oh, I, I I must have bought I've, them all. I've gone okay three times last week. They don't have it. But we have a special show that we are looking forward to. Yeah. We have yeah, Garrett, one, of, one of our favorite reps of all time, Garrett yeah, Calhoun, yeah. with one us. One Thank you for the invite. Guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've been doing the show for four and a half years and yeah. just yeah. realized that you've never been on the show. Yeah, crazy, because I know what's been going on and it's been great, and I think Mark's a beautiful addition. Sorry, Steve. So let's keep rolling <laughs> episode 4,063. <laughs> let's let's make it happen. I'm, I'm a little late to the party, but it yeah. won't be my last time. But you're here, so why don't you introduce the guest who we have on tonight? Ooh, the guest, the legend yes. across from me. Yeah. Michael Harklotz. Perfect. Oh, hey. <laughs> owner, proprietor of Ferry Otago USA. Right. Michael, welcome to the show. How about it, huh? How you doing, man? Yeah, great. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, I know we, we've had like Instagram conversations going back like three years or so. Yes. And there was a good like year and a half of me not so getting back. So who slid into whose DMs first? Oh, it was definitely me. Like, <laughs> okay. I, I was and still am a nobody. I, I don't even, in actually, the, in that. I don't so even actually know what that is. I, I, I did all that. And it was a photo, which was very bizarre. But I'll leave. No, <laughs> just kidding. That was a great, great no. reference. It was a, at least <laughs> you didn't go the grinder story. We're, at least we're good there. That's, uh, that's episode 463. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's, a, future, that's yeah. a future callback. Two, that come, yeah, future callback. Two shows. I'm busy so, that day. But we might happen today. How about hey, that? We're all going to swipe right on Michael today. Yep. No, but we are, uh, we've never done a, this cigar on the show. It yeah. did, uh, this brand made my top 10 last year. I know that. And I believe it made yours as well, or it was Steve's. It was, it was one of the two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for the record, nine months ago. Like, <laughs> um, I think I had noodles for lunch. Yeah. So. Um, it is one of my favorites. So, Michael, why don't you go ahead and tell us what we are having tonight? Because this is the first time I've, I've ever had this one. Yeah, so we are smoking uh, the latest and greatest from Ferriotego, the Ferriotego Suma. Okay. Um, it is a core blend to join the Ferriotego brand. Um, Ferriotego, prior to the release of Suma, um, was a set of annual limited releases, the Elegancia and Generoso. Um, those blends are two very unique blends, only available in one size, packed in humidors of 10, and just made once annually, and when they're gone, they're gone. Suma, on the other hand, is a traditional core line, so it's a blend that is made in regular production and maintained and preserved with each production, Um, and it's a blend, and it's a blend um, that really kind of marries the experience of Elegancia and Generoso. So Elegancia is almost creme brulee-like. The Generoso is spicier, a bit more decadent and savory. The Suma is uh, a very fudgy, rich, Nicaraguan-heavy as far as uh, flavor and ingredient uh, and filler with uh, a binder and wrapper both from Ecuador and that double Ecuador influence really creates this almost viscous, silky mouthfeel. And when you combine those two, 
it gives it gives a, a a body that is just opulent and rich and full, um, but but also a touch sweet. But it's a sweetness that you feel more than you taste. Yeah. Uh, so it's a blend that I'm so excited about. We we debuted it at this past PCA convention and trade show in Las Vegas. Um, so it's been in market now for. Uh, six to eight weeks, something like that. Okay. It's doing great. We've had great reviews, incredible feedback, and I'm excited that we're smoking it tonight. Yeah, yeah, me too. So it was the uh, the Generoso. That was the one that I had on mm-hmm. my list, and I had I couldn't e- explain it of what I felt and tasted. It had a je ne sais quoi that was like it was unique that I've never had that before in a cigar, but it it, it caught me. And I, and I love Generoso is a really special blend, as is Elegancia, for completely different reasons. Um, but, you know, frankly, I think Je ne sais quoi is a perfectly appropriate review for any blend when you're doing your own self-assessment. Yeah. You know, we only really need to get in the weeds when we're trying to explain or differentiate one cigar from another cigar. But if you smoked it and you enjoyed it so much that it landed on your top 10 list, yeah. I am tickled to death. Awesome. Well, yeah, it definitely did. Well, it was, and it was the different one, that, the other one that landed on Steve's. Yes, yeah, because I think we're, we, were, we were opposite. Because I was, I was late to the party. Elegance was probably on Steve's then? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Excellent. Yep. Yeah, yeah so I, I, this past PCA was my first one. So I saw you cross the way, and it was like crazy. I was overwhelmed by the whole You're procedure and everything. Up, popular dance party. It was it was nuts. So like I saw you across the way it was like great it's like, oh, show. If I see him again, I'll run over there, but like it just it you was think nuts. It was back the way it was. I owned a shop in Illinois. Uh, no, I'm not going to get close to the mic. <laughs> Don't touch my mic. Um, uh, I owned a shop in in Illinois. It's got to be 8 years ago, but I owned it for probably 10 years. I was a co-owner. And so PCA when I was going to PCA was IPCPR, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was cool. crazy. I mean, it was like it was really. There was a ton of people there. There was a lot of. Well, there was a lot of different. It's different now. I know. I'm not going now. Well, the the show is the industry. Yeah. In one place. At one time. For five days. Yeah. It has to be crazy. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you describe that level of intelligence and experiences and diversity and passion you know this is this silly little thing of rolled up leaves properly humidified (laughs) is so misunderstood by the majority of people that when you all get together and you all share a passion for something that is so misunderstood by most yeah it's an energy that can't be described. And this was the first show that we got to be together without restriction, yeah. where things really felt back to normal. Um, you know, I've, been, I've gone every year since 2003, and um, every show is different. The energy yeah, is always 100%. different. The perception's always different. There's always some change. I've, I found every year there was always something a little different. Like the... As it should be. Right. There was, for a while, there was the hookah girls and, yep. and all the weird vibe, that the, the different vibe. I shouldn't say weird. That implies well, that's that. different. It different was different. Good. Yeah. And then, I think our association is in a great place because I think our industry is in a great place. I agree. And I thought the show was 
bonkers. At okay. least it was for us. I also didn't really get out of our booth much, but <laughs> if if our booth could serve as a barometer for the show, it sounds like everyone had a great show. That's, I was wondering if it was back pre-pandemic, because I asked him, he went, and another friend of ours, but they were their first show. So I was like going, was this like, like a, was it back to pre-pandemic? See, I would not say there's... In the early days of COVID, we kept saying things like, I can't wait for things to get back to normal, to get back to 2019. But had there not been a pandemic, we would never have said those words. Right. There isn't a moment in time in our lives where we would say, oh, I wish we could get back to two years ago, because we don't go that direction. We only go forward. And so I don't look at this measured against a prior year I look at this year as this year, and this year was a great, great show. It's been a good year for cigars overall, and I'm glad Certainly. to hear it was a great, um, great uh, show. It, it was a lot of fun. I tell you what, my first show was overwhelming. I mean, it was just I can remember my, so first, show, my yeah. first show was Nashville, 2003. Oh, wow. It was RTDA at that time. Yeah. And it was the first time that I was able to physically experience and appreciate the scale of our industry. Before that, my <laughs> perception was a retail store. Yeah. And whatever that meant within the four walls and the customers that came in, yeah. uh, 2003 was pretty early internet days. You know, you didn't, you didn't really get to see, feel, meet, and experience the industry mm-hmm. at scale. So to walk in that show as a 23-year-old kid and see everyone I had only seen in advertisements and magazines to be able to shake their hands and, and meet them. And, uh, you know, it was, I remember how overwhelming it was then. And I'll tell you now having been whatever that is, 20 shows, um, it doesn't feel much different. You know, it's still exciting. My perception has changed, Sure. you know, going 20 years, um, it loses the newness and instead it feels like home. It feels like a reunion. It feels, it it, it feels like, um, like, like camp, you know, where you finally get to see your friends again. Uh, it was just great, man. It's like every show is the same, but different at the same time. Like it's, it's like with my main job, everything I do day to day is the same, but everything has a just a little tweak to it. And every year, like just tell, talking to Steve or Mark or whatever, be like, yeah, I remember that. Like what else was new? Well, I, like, yeah. I know we're going to talk music, but you know, that's what is great about being a musician yeah. is you can go on stage every night yeah. and play the same set yeah. and yeah. it will never be the same. Yeah. Yeah. It can't possibly be the energy of the audience, the energy in the room, the energy on the yeah. stage, everyone's mindset is a moment in time that will never be repeated ever. Yeah. So even though you do the same thing Could every night, anymore. you put on the same show, <laughs> yeah. it's always something different and special and unique. And some artists play different sets. Like they play, like we were talking to Eric yeah. Church, and every night is a completely different set. And but I'm, songs that he's played before. But songs he's played before. Right. And with some these, more common than others. Some more common than others. But some people play the same damn set every night, and it's still completely different. Well, it's, like, it's like how I say, like, I love, what, I got to see Grateful Dead one time. Right, like I love Grateful Dead, but every show, <laughs> Samson, Samson to Delilah, yeah. Delilah, my all my favorite song from them, 
I've never heard it played the same way no, twice. They, no. Well, I, like I think the, that's because they forget. Yeah, I like the word that Michael, <laughs> Michael used was, it's because they have, well played. Uh, energy is what I was going to chime yeah, in because yeah. you can say, hey, was it back to 2019 or pre-pandemic? And you could measure those things by attendees. But yeah. it doesn't matter. So, yeah. It's like the fans in the crowd of a concert. You can have 100 yeah. people that are just die hard, just so happy to be there, and they could have a better time, and the, and the performer can have a better time yeah. than a 10,000 pack stadium yeah. when everybody's just like, oh, I'm there, take my selfie and do whatever else. So yeah. I really think the energy, I wasn't at the show, unfortunately, we weren't there, but everything I heard back was energy, energy, energy. It felt like we were back. Yeah. To and put a fine point on the show, like any show, you're going to get out what you put in. And what was, what was noticeably different about this show, uh, although I will tell you, if I am going to look backwards, the 2021 show and 2022 shows, which had some restrictions because of COVID, sure. the people who showed up, the energy walking into the show was so high because people were just so happy to be around each other. Yeah. We've been locked up for a year. So I think this year really had, again, on scale and mass energy walking in of that feeling of let's let's go, let's do this. Finally, we're all back. Yeah, I was just glad, like my my main point of that was I was so glad to finally meet like Billy and Gus from uh, Arsenio Del Tobacco and John from Peter James. Like those three guys, like that was my highlight of, of the whole trip to finally people I've talked to online for years, but never put, I thought the highlight was seeing me across, oh, the, across, the, right. yeah, <laughs> across the room. But he said people he actually got to talk to. Yeah. Your line was so far. Yeah. I mean, it was going to Reno. It was, it was a bit just, busy. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're, you're up close to the you're front, good, front of the door. Yeah. yeah. You're right there. So let's go through, I don't want to say the boring stuff, but the stuff that like we always ask our guests, but rapid the, fire, the, the heart of the show is something that I wasn't on the show notes because I know you have a big musical musical background, and like I said, this is a cigar show first. But if it wasn't, it'd be a fucking music show. Okay, <laughs> so, will be that. <laughs> so um, you you know you have the history in the cigar world, what you do. But let's get to the root of what you are as a cigar smoker first. Do you remember what your first cigar was? Ashton Classic Panatella. Awesome. Nice. Where was that? At? Where was that at? Cigar Masters. Okay. On Newbury Street in Boston, October. 1998. Wow. Okay. Rat-tat-tat, just like that. You knew it right. I can remember. It, <laughs> changed, my, it changed, my life, changed my life forever. Were you yeah. of legal age at that point? You had to be if because you, you were in a shop. It was 18. 18 at the time. 18 was legal at the time. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I was going for a walk through Boston with this kid from Pittsburgh who was one of my roommates, who, funny enough, I told this story uh, a few weeks ago when I was in Pittsburgh, and that kid from Pittsburgh came to the event. And I, I've seen him a couple times over the years. Um but it's the first time I got to tell the story at an event about the kid from Pittsburgh with the kid from Pittsburgh in the room, Very Chris cool. Brown. Um, but he, he had smoked cigars uh, in high school and wanted to go smoke a cigar, and I thought that seemed preposterous. I didn't smoke. I'm a lifelong asthmatic. It seemed completely out of the realm of possibility for <laughs> Good me. Good old oxymoron. Yeah, there and you then go. we walked into this cigar bar, and there was nothing I had ever experienced that was beyond that door. People dressed up, brown spirits in weird cups, smoke in the air, jazz playing. And I thought to myself, I have no idea what this is, but I know I want to be here again. And that was before I even lit up a cigar. It was just something about it. 
just everything. Just the vibe. I just loved it. Yeah. And uh, he picked the Ashton Classic Panatella, and I got a coffee. It was $2.50, which in 1998 was a lot of money for a coffee <laughs> for a broke college freshman. Yeah. And he was smoking it, and he said, are you sure you don't want to just try it? I said, all right, what, what do I do? Like, I, you know, I'm nervous. And he said, you just take a puff. You don't inhale it. Just put the smoke in your mouth and just let it out. And I did it once, and I survived. And then I did it again. And I remember the way the smoke left a flavor that was a flavor I had never experienced in a medium I had never experienced. And I thought to myself, this is going to be something that I'm going to be into. And then like any artist, when something strikes you with that um, burst of curiosity, down the rabbit hole you go. Uh And that's just, there's no coming back from that. You know, you just go. And so I... You know, it was fortunate. It was the end of the boom. There were lots of events. That that was at the very height of the first. It was at the very height. I'm pretty sure the day I started was the last day of the boom, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But there were free tastings, and there were all these different events, and and it was a metropolitan city, so there were lots of options, and and I just, I would go to stores and learn as much as I could and taste as much as I could, but I realized quickly it was a hobby I could not afford. Yeah. And um, I was going to go... I wanted to graduate in three years. So I had to move off campus so I could go to school in the summer and I needed to get a job. So I got a job at a kiosk in the Prudential Center Mall in Boston that was a little humidor kiosk. And I started working there and uh, one thing led to another. I ended up having to run that business for a guy that bought it shortly after I started, which was a blessing and a curse um, because I ended up hiring a bunch of my other broke college friends and we ran that cart for two and a half years five college kids doing two hour shifts you know swapping keys in the hallway in between classes and going back and forth it was incredible but it was a great experience and I got to you know early on talk about cigars taste cigars um, learn and share at the same time and uh, you know it it was an amazing experience. Really, a a, a pretty, a pretty uh, influential part of my life. Yeah, awesome. So, one thing we always ask our guests, you know, for Mark and I, we always think a cigar or a moment has the most memorable experience with a cigar. It could be the cigar or the moment itself. It could be good. Could be bad. Uh, for both of us, I believe it's not so much of a happy feeling, but just a the cigar is what got us through, and that's what we're most memorable of. So what is your most memorable moment, either the cigar or the moment itself involving cigars? I've had, fortunately, I've had so many. Um, I've had ones that stand up uh, immediately. The first paid gig I ever had as a musician happened to be a Fuente cigar dinner Mm -hmm. in Boston. And Carlito, I introduced myself to him. I said I had just started smoking cigars. And uh, and he handed me an Opus X Perfection A. <laughs> nice. And then he asked if the folks in my band also enjoy cigars, which they didn't. But, of course, I said yes. <laughs> so he handed me three more, which I promptly kept. Yeah. Um, but to 
come full circle on what makes cigars so meaningful. 20 years later, I'm doing an event at the Nat Sherman townhouse and the Fuente family was there and we were raising money for the Fuente family charitable foundation. And over the years I've, I've started becoming an auctioneer at these things. And I have a particular way of just guilting people into buying things and having them spend extraordinary amounts of money. And so I brought some stuff from my own collection over the years to auction. And one of the cigars I brought was one of those cigars. cigars. And I'd never smoked any of them. I kept all four. And so standing in this room filled with people, I start auctioning the cigar after I shared the story. And it went from 50 to 100 to 400 to 800 to 1200. And I think it finally went somewhere between 1200 and $1,500 for the cigar. I couldn't quite see who bought it. And Carlito comes walking up to the front of the room because he was the one who bid on it at $1,500. And he took the cigar, held it up, Everyone cheered. He got up on the microphone, handed it back to me. He said, I gave it to you once. Don't ever fucking do that again. (laughs) And gave it back to me. And I've had a lot of great moments in addition to that. But to me, those two moments are one that just exudes what makes this industry so special. A 19-year-old kid, drummer, was handed an Opus X. Yeah, from the Don himself. From Carlito. Yeah. No visions of making a career in this industry. Yeah. And 20 years later, having a close relationship with Carlito, yeah. enough that he would break my stones, hand me the <laughs> cigar back. You know, there's, I have countless stories like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's get into the meat of what I'm excited to talk about. You, you've kind of already touched on the subject a few times, but you went to uh, Berkeley College of Music up in Boston. Yes, sir. Uh, you are a jazz drummer, yep. which... Mark and I will agree is the most technical, greatest drumming out there. I'm a metalhead, but jazz for me has always come first. I my parents are jazz singers. I grew up in a jazz house. So how come no jazz vocalists? Um, because, like That's I said, okay. I'm, true to I'm true to myself. I'm true to myself. But there's a I mean I we can do a, I can do jazz vocalists. Podcast ago, we had top five vocalists, and they were all people I'd never heard of from the metal genre, and I was just. By the way, I have profound admiration for metal drummers because I can't. I th- I think no, I think I think it's the drummers. same hand, just one side's backside, one side's front side. I believe it's the same the same hand because it's the the technicality of yeah. of both is no, just I unmatched. Mean, there there are some great metal drummers. Yeah, there's some really shitty. It, ones it, they both take a degree of precision. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That is staggering. So so for Mark and I. We believe music and cigars go hand in hand. What are some of the quintessential albums that you have to listen to while you're smoking a cigar? Or what are some of the albums you listen to while while smoking a cigar? This is a tough one for me to answer honestly. Let me say first, and I've said this on podcasts and other interviews before, but it's my favorite analogy um, premium cigars are to the music industry, excuse me, premium cigars are to the tobacco industry what jazz is to the music industry. It's the most misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It's among the hardest to do. Pays the least. Yeah. <laughs> misunderstood by most. Yeah. Um, but those who get it and love it, it's, it's, a, it's a community. And it has a profound... Um, 
has a profound level of respect and admiration where even mainstream tobacco folks have an affection for the idea of premium cigars even if they don't enjoy it. And I think jazz is the same. Yeah, it's, for me, like, I love jazz. It's controlled chaos. Yeah. It's, and to me, a, a cigar can be the same way. Like we talked about earlier, you know, the je ne sais quoi. What I taste of something somebody else might not, but it's just that you have sparks of something going off in your head, either when you're inhaling that cigar, feeling the aroma, feeling the, 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 the flavor, feeling the, the texture of the smoke, and then same thing with, with jazz. It's so from an album perspective, I've never thought of it this way, but I do a lot of work with pairings. And the idea of a pairing is that you're taking something that is by design meant to be enjoyed on its own because it by itself is balanced. And then you find something else to pair with it that is also intended to be consumed on its own. But when put together thoughtfully, they work together to create something that is better together than the individuals it's alone. It's har that harmony balance. So we do that with food and wine. You do that with cigars and spirits, cigars and wine. I think the same can be said with music. And so without answering the question specifically, because I, I don't know that I can answer it specific to album, because like cigars, it's, a, it's, it's about the moment and what you're in the mood for, and you have to pick the thing that, that is appropriate. But if I were going to apply some conditions, it would have to be, number one, an album that I'm familiar with. I would not want to do an album that I would have to discover for the first time because I feel like that album would deserve my entire attention and that wouldn't be fair to the cigar. So it would have to be something that I'm familiar with. Yeah. So for me, it would probably be uh, a, a mainstream favorite jazz album and then it would come down to venue um, so I think of like easy kind of blue Miles Davis without a doubt that's a fit yeah um, but even outside of of the jazz world I think you could easily listen to a Beatles album and because you know the songs you don't have to pay attention to them because they're already there and without even singing the words, they're sort of running through your, your, you know, mental, through your memory anyway and it's just becoming a part of who you are where you don't have to sing it to remember it because you already know where you are in the tune. Yeah. I think albums like that, those classic timeless albums that you've listened to so many times that your ability to select that album in the moment will fill the environment and the space you're in while you're enjoying a cigar. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know if Jimmy Cobb was a cigar smoker, but I can envision him behind his kit, cigar yeah. in mouth, just laying down the backing track of a Freddie Freeloader or, you know, I mean, kind of blue is the biggest jazz selling album of all time. Yes. It's the one in my vinyl collection I can't find the original pressing. It's the one I've been looking for the most. I have, you know, repressings and stuff like that, but trying to find an original like 1956 kind of blue is my, it's my white whale. I do think though there is something to be said for uh, music without lyrics. Mm -hmm. 
because it's something that you don't need to process a story of. You can just internalize the color and sounds without the message. So I love listening to music that does not have lyrics yeah. when I smoke. And typically it tends to be mellower, especially if I'm smoking by myself, because enjoying a cigar for me is very different than smoking a cigar for work. Yeah. But the ability to slow my puff, slow my heart rate, and just appreciate the moment is typically done with the intention of achieving a slower tempo for everything in my life at that moment. Yeah. And so I think something slower would be more appropriate. So when, when you play, do you like the traditional, like what I call the New York trio, stand-up bass, drums, piano, or do you throw in like the Miles Davis got the trumpet or the Coltrane? My saxophone? background was always small combo. Okay. So I had a trio and a quartet all through college, but you know, even to expand to quintet, Six, seven, max. Now, I love playing big band. Big band, yeah. Love it. But you lose a touch of intimacy when you have to coordinate that many pieces. And so there's a lot more rigidity to big band because everyone has to stay together. Yeah. Small band allows you to free up a little and really respond to one another. And, uh, and I love that. And what I like is... There's much more spontaneity to the entirety of the ensemble, mm -hmm. the smaller the band is. Yeah. The bigger the band is, the spontaneity really only lives for the soloist and maybe the rhythm section. Yeah. And, and, and what I love is, you know, whoever the head of the trio, the quartet is, like Charles Mingus, stand-up bass player, but he's, I think of him more of like a composer... Like he, what he does with his bass when he plays with Coltrane and with like Art Blake, uh, Blakely, but like he doesn't stand above, but he, he meshes all together. But you know, he's the, he was the cornerstone of, of his, but he never shined above the other ones. And then you got, uh, uh, Coltrane itself, you know, the Col Coltrane trio. Any, any great band leader yeah. isn't a band leader to be a soloist. Yeah. Band leader is a band leader to be a band leader. That, that's how it has to be. And it's, you know, when you have, like I led my own quartet and trio for four years. It wasn't a drum solo every song, you know what I mean? That's brutal. I mean, who wants to go see that? Mm -hmm. So there, you know, I might solo three times in a show, but the, the point, the goal of a band leader is to put together a great band that makes great music. Whether you're the drummer, bass player, trumpet player, it doesn't make a difference. You're trying to create the, the music collectively as a group. So you're, are you based in New York right now? Jersey now. Okay. See, that's the one thing like Little Rock, we don't have. We don't have a jazz club, unfortunately. I, you know, I grew up in Kansas City. So Kansas City jazz is a, is a little bit different. You know, 18th and Vine down the jazz dis district, it's more of a, almost like a, a six piece, a seven piece, almost getting more to the big band style of the jazz as opposed to the New York style, the Jersey side is to me like going to uh, uh, what's the, where does Kevin hang out at? Uh, Carnegie club. Yeah. Like that's like that to me is the quintessential jazz club that I would love to go to at some point. Yeah. Carnegie is great by the way. It's so great. But I, you know, 
again, it's, it's a hard thing for me to answer because my, I don't approach listening to music as a hobbyist anymore, mm-hmm. nor do I approach enjoying cigars as a hobbyist anymore. Mm-hmm. So the idea of going to, just walking into a jazz club to go see music does not sound appealing to me whatsoever, nor does going to a cigar event. It just, it's what I do all the time. <laughs> so that's not, yeah. that's not a break. Uh, and even though I'm not playing music the way I once did, I did it so much and so intensely for so long, I think I still have some level of PTSD related to, go to going to see live music. Now, if a friend of mine is playing, well, that's very different. Yeah. But I, I don't care what the band is. I want to go see my buddy play. Um, and no different than a cigar event. If I've got a friend who's a cigar maker who invites me to go to their cigar event, well, I want to go see that. I want to go see their show. You know, right. that's that's where I've sort of landed now. Twenty four years in the cigar business and playing drums since I was ten. It's the my ability to be a consumer is very difficult in the things that now I've made a profession in, um, and I tend not to find relaxation or fulfillment in those environments unless I'm connected to the very, I'll give you a crazy example. One of my college buddies is now the trumpet player for the Dave Matthews band. Okay. My wife is a huge Dave Matthews fan. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I always listen to them. I think they're awesome, but never once did I ever think, let me go to a concert to see the Dave Matthews band. Zero interest until I heard from my buddy Rashawn, who's now playing with Dave Matthews, hey, I'm going to be at Jones Beach. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come see the show? Sure. Of course I want to go see the show. I want to see you play with Dave Matthews. That's sick. Yeah. But that, you, all I did was I watched him and I watched Carter the drummer, but who, by the way, is a cigar guy. Carter Buford is crazy. Huge cigar guy, by yeah. the way. So to me, that was the connection. And while it was really cool to see the one and only Dave Matthews perform, I don't remember even watching him, to be honest. I remember watching Rashawn being like, how cool is that? And watching Carter being like, you know, I saw this guy, watched this guy play my whole life and listen yeah. to him, and so that's awesome. But that's the way I consume now. It's got to be connected on a personal level to have it resonate in my heart. And so it's the same with cigars. Even outside your genre, music-wise. Yeah. Even outside jazz, it's... Yeah, but I played outside of the jazz genre. Okay. I, I played most of my professional career, rock, songwriter, theater, that okay. kind of stuff was most okay. of my professional career. And I just, I now, have to be connected to it in a more intimate, meaningful, personal well, way. It, it's funny when you, you know, um, and I'm not nearly as accomplished at that, but I played golf as a young man <clears throat> fairly competitively. And... Um, now I'll have people say, oh, you should go out and play golf. And it is the same thing. You just go, you don't understand this is a different experience for me than it is for you, right? So it's hard for me to dial it down and, like, be casual about it. Right. I can't. And you get frustrated with the people you're playing with if they're right. not taking it seriously? Well, and, and so I try really hard to be, like, um, real casual about it. And then they get mad because I... 
Like, I know you're not taking this seriously enough. And I said, I'm trying not to be an asshole. Right. I'm, I'm trying really take, hard not to take this seriously enough. Right. Because if I do, then you're not going to like that either. And so. Um, is, that, is that why we only played together one time? Well, you guys don't ever invite me anymore. And so I thought I was. Because he was a standoffish asshole the whole time. No, I, I tried really hard, but I got lost once. And then I bitched about it a bunch. I, I played Sunday. I know. I only, only played no nine, invites. I only played nine holes because I had D&D that day. Uh, I lost 10 balls in nine holes. I was is horrible. That, is that the reason for the Costco was, golf I, ball I, run? Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, you could invite me. It was a tough putt-putt course, I guess. Man. It was, it you was, could invite me. So like, I, I tee if off. The, if I the course doesn't have windmills, I don't play. Yeah. Right. There you go. I tee off at two. I like putt putt, but uh, yeah. I tee off at two, and I hit it like three feet in front of me and way left into the woods. Okay. Steve throws me another ball. He's like, hit that again. He overthrows me into the woods. I'm like, motherfucker, I only have like amateurs. seven balls left. You, you amateurs. <laughs> please, please don't do that. Well, feel free so to invite You lost me. four and Steve lost six. Yeah. Okay, got it. Thanks, Steve. Steve. Steve's a golfer. I, I, I saw you guys swing once. So Yeah. But I, I appreciate that because it's different when you do it at a more serious level. And it's hard to – I appreciate that. And it's – it is. It sounds snobbish, and I, I hate for it too. But no, it I think everybody me. has something like that, though, don't they? Yeah, I, I think, think everybody's. Does. I know you, you know, play baseball. Even, yeah, baseball. For me, it was baseball, but it's it, everybody has something that they were so good at at one point. Whether everybody noticed it or they just knew it because of the effort, the schooling yeah, that Michael awesome. went through, the practice, and, and all the yeah. competitiveness that you went. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all did. You picked up golf later in life, and you love it, but you understand yeah. his frustration and anybody yeah. else's frustration. But everybody has that, awesome. and they want to go back. You you go through well, an injury, or you were powerless. After you're yeah. this guy and you feel like, hey, I'm bigger and stronger and I'm an adult and I can yeah. just, I used to bench 300, I can do it. And you're like, no, no I can't. It's, it's, it's just hard. your mind because you've done it once. So you think you always be able to do it. And none of these things are like riding a bike. It all takes so long to get back to that yeah. level. No, it's, it's like, so, I mean, I, I called, I called, Amen. I broadcast football games for 17 years. Yep. I finally stepped away from that and I get, I get asked by my old producer, hey, do you want to call this game? I'm like, Dude, no. <laughs> like I've I've been away enough. It's I don't short, I don't know any of the players. He actually, I'm not, he's actually really good. So I'm not going to be. We've had those conversations. I'm not going to be any yeah. good at it. Like it's, I'm going to stumble. I and I just don't. Well, the other thing is, you know, you would be, and no different than you know. I I I went almost two years without playing a gig, and I got called for one. It was a serious show, and I almost didn't take it. And uh, and I I ended up taking it, and it was no rehearsal. It was a Christmas concert at the Cutting Room, serious club in New York, and it was an entire Broadway cast. No, it was a tech rehearsal for the band that morning. We did starts and endings with every actor and performer, and then it was curtain in 30 minutes, and we went and did the show. And I practiced all week. I was paralyzed with fear, and the show was great. It, it gave me a, a new level of of confidence and just passion that that even though I have moved on to another phase of pursuing passion in my life that that is still somewhere in there and I can pull it out if I need it you know that's yeah. gotta be cool that's gotta be exhilarating All yeah it was great going back to the Chattanooga tweet up something that we did I thought it was really really <laughs> yeah I mean, but at least they, back then I was playing bro. yes when you were still playing but it was very cool and I know you guys obviously weren't there but to share a little bit it was very cool to see there's a lot of music influence and music artists that are in the cigar industry. So we have this beautiful 
you know, like you guys have the Arkansas smoke coming up. This was Chattanooga tweet up. All the guys used to come, and it was really fun to see Michael on, on drums. Matt Booth was playing bass. What, Pete was playing guitar? Pete didn't get up. Oh, Pete did. Who else? There was somebody else. Gordon. Oh, Gordon. Got and up. It was, it was great. Some, yeah, I mean, it was just a mix of guys from musically that were up there and just playing, but all these guys that these backgrounds. Just, just a jam You would have never known. Yeah. Like, we know because we've all... Yeah, There's a really shitty, grainy video of it, but yeah. it's so good. <laughs> so, I mean, it was stuff that stuff that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, it's really cool because people are like, oh, they didn't know Michael did this. Oh, we don't know Matt. And all of a sudden, that's where part of this interview and this conversation is like, hey, I'm really interested now in how you as an artist were able to come over from the music, you know, and from being a professional drummer into the cigar. And there's a lot more of that than you think because it's, huh. it's a love and it's a passion. Yeah. Actually, a lady who works for me and her husband, who we work with, who's a, a state employee, um, are the drummer and a guitar player for a metal band in town. There's a lot of that in a lot of industry. Music is everywhere. Yeah. And I'll tell a, you, Berkeley College of Music was the greatest business education I could have ever dreamed of getting. That's fascinating. Because it was just pure hustle. Yeah. It was real world, as soon as you got there, hustle for gigs favoritism yeah. you know despite the fact that. that i had the criteria to get in an, an ensemble i didn't get it right why didn't i get it well there's drum there's one drum chair and it's already filled right but i'm here first yeah like i have the ratings and the criteria to get here first i have the right to that seat first you can't have it it's already filled sorry right so got you, it so message you, received you you, you started playing when you were 10 yep. correct so what led up to that moment from picking up a first set of sticks to going to Berkeley College? It's just all I wanted to do. I wanted to be a drummer. And my parents, God bless them, were, we're in. overwhelmingly positive yeah. and supportive. I can only imagine like having a, 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 having a little kid with a drum set growing up was... Well, I have a twin sister, and she studied acting, musical theater, uh -huh. and I studied drumming. My mom's a teacher, my dad's a doctor, and... They had two kids that wanted no real profession at all, <laughs> but were totally supportive. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you, really, it, it, what I've, I still apply my music school discipline to business today because every, it's no different hustling for a gig, trying to put together a band, trying to write a song, trying to make a show that's unique, going on tour, playing the music, trying to make relationships with venues, getting people to buy your album, getting people to buy your merch, getting someone to bring someone to a show the next time you're in town. That's, that's the business. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing everything I always dreamed of doing. Yeah. I just do it with a, a different set of sticks. Yeah. Well, New, New York <laughs> is an unlimited talent pool for any sort of theatrical, thespian, jazz, music, whatever. Who are some of the acts that you've seen up there that don't get the respect they should or who are some are like up and comers that you want to that I, that should be on our radar i'm off the i I'm, i don't have my finger on the pulse of that anymore to be honest um but you walk into any off-broadway theater walk into um god what's the name there's a there's a restaurant in new york i think it's still open god i hope it is it's called uh, Elaine's Stardust Diner. And it's all musical theater actors, waiting tables, and every 20 minutes they break out into a song. And you're 
waitress is all of a sudden singing Les Mis. And the most, there's nothing more or less talented about the people serving you pancakes as the people on the stage of Phantom of the Opera. It's just they were cast and they weren't. It's, It's just that different. Most of the people who you see in any major theme park were on Broadway or are trying to be on Broadway. And the yeah. only difference is that they weren't cast. But there's so much talent out there, man. Yeah. And, you know, we... The bar is so high in all of it. It's not even... It's music. It's sports. It's arts. It's writing. It's And that's why you have so much talent in all these other adjacent industries. Any industry mm-hmm. that can lead with passion. And you even see it in... <clears throat> in Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, some of the greatest business leaders and some of the greatest CFOs and the greatest salespeople, like when you actually drill into their background, they were in musical theater, they were in marching band, they were in, they have a, they have something that was rooted in art and creative first. That is what set that, that passion fire in their soul. And thank God they were able to find something else that they could be passionate about and still feed that piece by doing something slightly different. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely those people there. Well, and and that's why, I mean, I've said it numerous times with Mark and Steve and stuff (laughs) like, I use this as my creative outlet because I grew up a theater kid. I, any play that was around, I auditioned for, I'd studied for. Even here in Arkansas, like I, I studied and tried out for Rent. Oh, cool. um, you know, I, I didn't get this part, but I got like next call up. You know, if somebody falls out, That's you know, otherwise I, cool. I know all the lines, I know all the songs, I, I, I got some pipes, I can do it. Um, but like, I still have to have that, you know, with my main job, being a furniture builder, I have to create something out of nothing, pretty much. That's right. And, you know, the fact that, unfortunately, a lot of hopes and dreams get dashed out, whether from family or friends or just surroundings or just life, because life is life is unforgiving and life is a bitch sometimes kind of thing. So for anybody to use that passion to create whatever it is, that's the main thing. Like, I would I, never tell anyone not to pursue their plan A. But I believe, I do a lot of work in uh, my old high school. We have a program there called the School to Career Center. And the idea is that you leave with applicable skills that you can apply to work. And my message to them is always, you go for plan A. I'll never forget, I I toured Berkeley and spent time with uh, a drum professor that I had met when I was in high school. So I spent a day with him while I was still in high school because I thought I wanted to go to Berkeley and I thought I wanted to be a professor. Uh, or a, I thought I wanted music ed. And he said, so what do you want to do? I said, I'm thinking music ed. He said, so you really want to be a teacher? I said, no, I really want to play and perform, but I figure I should get a degree in music ed. And he goes, oh, for a fallback. I'm like, right. He goes, cool. So you're going to invest four years of your life on the, the assumption that you will fail. And I was like, <laughs> good take. message received yeah. loud and clear. Yeah. He's like, you want to be a drummer and you want to be performance major, major in performance. 
because that's what you want to do. If you have to fall back, fall back when you have to fall back. And that came back later to me because I realized once I'd been making a, a living in the cigar business, had I taken that initial pivot and changed my plan A, there is no way I would be in the cigar business. I would be teaching music in a high school somewhere. My plan A was to be a drummer. That was my specific goal. But I believe you also need to set a thematic goal. And the thematic goal answers the why for why you want your specific goal. And today, that answer is very clear. Why did I want to be a drummer? Because I like to perform, I like to collaborate, I like the spontaneity, I like the creativity, I like that energy. All of the things that come from being a musician. Mm-hmm. I have solved my why yep. and my thematic goals in what I'm doing now and what I've done for the last 20 years. In retail alone, in the cigar world, I was creating, I was performing, I was collaborating, it was spontaneous, every day was different. It, it was serving all of those same targets with something completely different. And so to me, that's not failure. That's absolute success because I was able to find something that answered the why and filled every one of the thematic goals I had just doing something that was completely different. And that's, that's really a, a, a point of peace for me because I didn't fail. I'm, I totally made it. It's just differently. Yeah. Well, greater success in my opinion. I think, you know, the funny part about being an adult and growing through your process of going from college to figuring out what the hell you want to be is adjustments get made. But what you want to do and what you want to be, and it may look slightly different, but you, you listen, opportunities come. The world, I'm, I'm old at this table. No shit. <clears throat> but the world's changed since you were a young, since you were in college. And I know, because we've talked about, you know, when you were in college, I'm, you know, I'm 57 now. So when I was in college, there was a diff- different look. Like, you, goals were different what careers look like were different, and now careers are different. I mean, we weren't talking about AI and stuff. And so... We weren't talking about AI two years ago. <laughs> no, we weren't. We, we were... What's AI? Designed, uh, you were. <laughs> we were. But we weren't talking about like we were now. And so the world gets different, and you adjust. But the funny part is, the things that I find you interesting, the, the interesting parts you learn from music, hustle the ability to sell, the ability to communicate with people on a, on a really personal way. So when you talk about those people who are CFOs or COOs or product owners or people who are doing big work in Fortune 100, 100 companies, those are the skills that they need. Like when, you, when you're the owner of a company, doesn't matter what you sell, you need every one of those skills, every single one of them, and you use them uh, every minute of every day, right? I you, think every major business leader should take a theater course. I, actually, every salesperson. I've never had a theater course, but uh, should should have to. I not, think it's a great idea. 
I mean memorize lines and be in a show and be part of an ensemble. Yeah. That's that's sales. That's leadership. That's I mean all that stuff. You have to the, the show only works when you're together. Everyone has to remember their lines. You don't deviate from the script, and for the audience, it all seems seamless. So, in the, you know, I lead a team of, um, of of really high performers, and I think leadership is a key component of that. But I think ability to stand and communicate, which is what you're talking about there, as part of a group, not by a you know a single person waving his arms. The ability to communicate as part of a group. But if acting's not your thing, then be a stage manager or be a set designer. Right. Or be, be but you have to be part of a show. Yep. It's got every level of experience. Some people need to stand up front, and I agree. I think team is the biggest deal. And so one of the things, Aaron's wife actually works for me. Um, and so, and I don't, everybody on the, the list of the podcast knows that. And so she is great at one thing, and she stretches, and she's awesome. And so we, I, th I think that what you're talking about is being part of a team, like, and everybody having a role, but also chipping in and working together and, and knowing their role and being able to do that. The best solo acts in the world have the biggest teams. Yeah, yep, I agree. Everybody well, takes ownership. You do every, that, that's where you're going to be successful. Well, and, yeah. and, and not yeah. even that. I never even thought about it from the way you described it, how it, it helps, you know, f further on. For me, like our listeners know, but you haven't heard. I don't even know if you, I've ever told you a story. So I got into theater because I had a horrible speech impediment. Um, I had a bad lisp. Now I, I had a bad stutter. <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't talk. I had, yeah, I had a horrible yeah. stage fright. But my, mm -hmm. my speech coach was like, I want you to try this. So go try out for the school play or whatever, or in, in theater club or whatever, because I went to a bunch of magnet schools re revolved around art and sciences. That's science was my key thing that I was great at, but it's also an art school. Um, so I go there, I'm reading through the, through the script in my head. Of course, it sounds perfect. When I start talking, it's the, and I can't talk the, the, uh, the, theater um, teacher, she, she gave me some pointers and everything. She was like, you know, those people out there don't know that you have a speech impediment, don't know that you stutter, don't know you have stage fright. All theater is, is playing somebody who you aren't for, you a, bet. for a short amount of time. And it <laughs> took me a while, but for the longest, for that time period, I was like, I'm going to pretend that I don't have these inabilities to speak. I'm going to pretend that I don't have stage fright. And it eventually went That's away. Yeah. And you know, it, it took a while, That's great of course, though. but now it's like, it's impressive. Hey, like, yeah. like Mark, what Mark said, you can't shut me the fuck up. No, <laughs> it's, no like, it's not a problem. No. <laughs> yeah, but, but think yeah. about that. You could apply that to anything if you just sure. think about it. Like, hey, okay, sure. just put yourself See, in front I have of a, that crowd. I have a stutter, which I'm usually pretty good at. I'm, I have like three letters that I still get stuck on. And my worst is a hard D. Mm. If I have to open with a hard D. That's a whole nother podcast, by the way. I'm, I'm <laughs> That's straight after dark. So can you imagine that I worked for Davidoff of Geneva, yeah. where the cigars come from <laughs> uh, the Dominican Republic? Yeah. Lord have mercy. Every time anyone was like, who do you work for again? <laughs> Stuck. Right. See, for me, Where are your I, cigars made? <laughs> Nothing. So for Dominican me, Republic. Yeah, for me, I still can't say the thing a knife goes in 
Cheese? Stish. I, I, I still can't yeah. fucking say it. Okay. Like, I know I can spell it. Okay. Can't no, you can see it. But the nice thing is that you have shows and stuff like Family Guy and stuff that make fun of that when just saying the words wrong. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, it's so common now. Like, get over it. Like, just oh, and like, enjoy I mean, it. It's so funny. I mean, hell, like, you this heard, is, like, it's my whole life the, to make the, fun of this mispronunciation. <laughs> I mean, it's the thing that I value the, most. The in second my life. one of us flubs on a word, oh, oh yeah. we're pouncing right on oh, it. Yeah. I love it. But it's like, it's one of those things, like, it's I wouldn't want to know. It's as good as when you misstate. Like, uh, I'm going to die on this soapbox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also good. Right. That's great. But the best is, like, when I... There was a light touch at the end of the bridge. Exactly. When I just make up a word, but, like, he knows what I'm talking about. Oh, like, yeah. You know, he that's, makes that's, up a word, and I go, I know what that means, but <laughs> it's not a fucking word. It's that's not, just a, not a word. Like, can we Google that? Do you yeah. get points in Scrabble? Does that <laughs> count with words right. with friends? <laughs> hey, listeners, um, we're having a yeah. blast. I don't know if you're enjoying this as much as we are, but we're having a great Our, time. So, like, Mike, who is a listener... Yeah. And so this, we do like, we'll do discussions. And so like Mike will come up to us and he'll say, or D who's in, and D will yell at me. Yeah. Like you were so wrong about whatever. Yeah. So I love Ayla, D. He's awesome. She, uh, like I'll get something wrong and she'll, but Mike was criticizing Aaron's top five vocalist choices. Like I had to Google every single one of them. <laughs> said, well, how did you Google the one he didn't even know the name for? Uh-huh. Still don't know who it is. So if I if I give you a name of a cigar, okay. could you curate me an album that you connote with that cigar? I like that question. <laughs> I thought you liked him. <laughs> Try. Uh, let's go. Uh, Kentucky let's go with, Fire. Let's go with the uh, Timeless Sterling. Timeless Sterling. Um, I really like that cigar. By the way. That's why it's on the list. I have, okay. I have five names down here. We'll see if I get through them all. Miles Davis Ballads. Ooh, nice. Wow. I haven't heard that album in a hot minute. Garrett, let's go to you now on this one. Uh, I, the, uh, go ahead. The Late Hour. Ooh, changing that up. Ooh. Thanks. Ooh. It's a different place in time. I was like, I had one of her Sterling. I'm like, I think the White <laughs> Album is it, the, would be my oh. jam with that. It's sticking out of the jazz. It's good. Oh, man. It's good. And does, and does that, Can does I that, say Guar or Insane Clown Posse? Is that a correct have, answer? No. I mean, what are magnets? I mean, yeah, I know. How do they, how do they work? How do they work? Um, insane clown I was posse. thinking something aggressive. Yeah, no, I, I, I really think something aggressive. I think this is going to be off because you think, oh, the history of Churchill and everything else, and I hate to. I wonder, I, we might Pearl have, Jam 10 okay. for me. Because literally not just because it's even flow, but the ebbs and flows of yeah. that album, I get a lot out of the cascading of the late hour, and it really does change for me three times. And if you go to the beginning of Alive and Even Flow, and then you got you're chilling down a little bit with Black, and then you go to Porch and it revs up again, that's kind of how I would look at it. Metallica came to mind too. Any of those flow albums where it's literally you've got this great thing, you know, you got Go, and then and then all of a sudden. You got Jeremy, which is a rocking song, but it's kind of that complexity, and then it picks back up. And I love Porch, and then you—I yeah. mean, it's just the the range of how those bands that we all listened to and loved, yeah. and they've changed over the years, and yeah. you know, and that happens. People change. Some people love the change or not, but those classic albums that we go back to, that regardless of genre, we love. 
like those will never change. Like I don't listen to New Pearl Jam, but yeah. I can go back to any of the first three or four, any yeah. first three or four Metallica, the original Nirvana, Soundgarden, any of that stuff. And it's, but that's that's one just because you gave me something that was not straightforward. Like I think that flow of that would see. Be and, a good and, one. and for me, I get like uh, Iron Maiden, oh, Number of the Beast, yeah, Run Run to the Hills. Run to the, yep. So I find I, the I, Light I, Hour yeah, to be, but that's that's how it is for me. I mean, mm-hmm. it's such a great cigar. So I, I mean, it's not that I don't like Iron Maiden or or, or Pearl Jam, but I, I mean, you got to pick a band that's worthy of that cigar. Yeah, that's so right. you got to pick Led Zeppelin four. You got to really yeah. go top of the list with all great musicians on that cigar. Hence the Beatles White Album for the uh, yeah, Timeless I mean, Sterling. I, by I, the way, I, I mean just, that's that's a great <laughs> choice. First of all, one of my favorite Beatles albums. I mean, I think that's a great choice, and it's it's such a beautiful album and such. So, so, I mean, at that point, they're at the top of their of the game. game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it's such but a There's great still something new to that album, too. There's stuff that reminds you of what so it is. But there's still so much. I can listen to that and pick up something new every time or another song that wasn't necessarily like the one that everybody knows. You're like, oh, the deep cuts. What we all listen to now, everybody likes searching for those those live or those, or those you know, those deep yeah. tracks or, you know, deep cuts, so to speak, besides the five, six songs that they play on the radio, you know, and... The, 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 and this has nothing to do with the cigar pairing, but that's such a sad album because they're at the top of the game, and then you know, yeah, you know it's around the bend. Yeah, yep. Unfortunately, history sometimes is brutal. Let's go with your very first cigar, the Ashton Classic. Oh, nice. The Ashton Classic. <laughs> that's tough. I had a cassette called The Best of Neil Diamond. Ooh. And it's the album that I played to to learn how to play drums with my dad. It had everything on it. Sweet Caroline, Brother Loves Travel and Salvation Show. I learned to play drums to that album. Ashton Classic was my first cigar. The Best of Neil Diamond. That's it. I love that. That's, right. That's cool. Neil Diamond that. is one of those, first of all, my mother's, well, one of my mother's favorite bands. She saw her like three or four times live in Chicago when I was a kid, um, a young adult. And I still love, I mean, some of his deep cuts. I just. I got asked in an interview with um, Cigar Snob Magazine, what's your favorite song to play as a drummer? Oh. And I said, Sweet Caroline. Is that a love-hate relationship? And he was like, what? I I said, man, when you're a drummer and you're just laying down the the rhythm of that tune at a wedding in Nantucket. Oh, I bet. They eat it up. And it's it's coming, and everyone knows it's coming, and it's not there yet, but right when it's coming... Sweet Caroline. And now I get to do. Oh, man. You've never seen people freak out the way they do when the drummer hits that bop, bop, ba. Yeah. I love it. Neil Diamond. So, final answer. Nantucket. Here's taking an exit ramp to this one. We're coming into like wedding season for the fall and everything. Better for a wedding. DJ, live band. Okay, this is really difficult. I played in an incredible 
big band orchestra on Nantucket. We played, I was part of that band for two summers and it was a serious, it's called a GB band, general business band. There was not a song that we couldn't play with full arrangements. And this was before iPads. I mean, we had the arrangements for every major tune. And if we didn't have it, if they called it, we played it. Yeah. I mean, it just didn't make a difference. <laughs> we played it. If you have a band of that caliber, and it's easier now because there's so much electronic music sheet that you can pull arrangements and play, nothing is better than a band. That said, I believe that there is nothing more important at a wedding than the bride and groom and the experience they have with their family and friends at that party. And the music is everything. And the biggest letdown of a live band is when there is one or two things that is not exactly the way you want it, mm -hmm. that you're expecting when you think about the original. So as much as I love live bands, I had a DJ at my wedding and you name the song, up it came. Cue it up. And you name another one, and up it comes again. Yeah. And then you start going down this rabbit hole, and yeah. all of a sudden we're all, like, dancing to seventh grade for, you know, <laughs> 25 minutes. Yeah. And that's... Everybody's having a blast. Yeah. Oh, man. So there, the, the versatility and spontaneity of a DJ is, for me, just... It makes the party so great. Yeah. Having a live band is a show. Yeah. And that does divert a little bit of attention. So as a drummer, I say live band. As a groom, I say DJ. <laughs> You're more flexible with the DJ stuff, too, because they don't have to play the whole track. They can actually mix it. Oh, man. Yeah, go, like left. you said, seventh grade, they could play oh. 80 minutes of music in 25 minutes. Yeah. But prestige worldwide. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like I mean, like going back to like uh, like 1997 in music yeah, is like one of the best. I, I love yeah. 97. Like going going in from like Usher into uh, Bitch. Yeah. Like I mean, a DJ Jane can Blossoms make, hate like, jealousy. Oh, yeah. That's a kicker going through. You know, not maybe not a wedding song, but that vibe and then like, of just the change. And then like crescendo with like umbop or something. Umbop, like, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, that, quickly, yeah, quickly with umbop. All of a sudden, some, <laughs> some Hanson. Did you just yeah. recommend Hanson? Hey, you know, <laughs> hey, the chicken Hanson is so hot. The chicken Hanson is very hot. Yeah, Google that one. <clears throat> Did you see who made a comeback at the AMCs tonight? No. In sync. Oh, first time in 10 years. And they've never been gone, folks. They've never been gone. <laughs> you don't no, I see, now, I gotta, now you have to make me watch that. Now. I know, I know. What is AMC? Uh, American Movie... No, was, American well, Music... Was it VMAs? The VMA. Video Music Awards on MTV? Yeah, I guess, I guess yeah, it was VMAs. VMAs. Yeah, yeah. VMAs. VMAs. Was Garth Brooks there? Cause it, <laughs> All right, so... Oh, that's a great... That was a great question, by the way, because I wanted to see him say that. I just think you have more flexibility on yeah. a DJ. Well, it's like like so a when my band if they're killing it. Yeah, like when when me and Mo got married, we our music tastes are, just are, are different different in a lot of ways. Except we both love '90s rock. Like '90s rock is just the for me. I believe is the best era. I love it. Except for like she walked down to asthma guitar gently weeps. You know that's that's a little bit different. Great. For, That's still cool. Great. Oh, yeah. Respect. But, like, yeah. I just, think you have live jazz for your cocktail hour, 
have a little live, have a harpist, to have a little live. But when that party gets started, oh, yeah. get a DJ and dance the night away. Yeah, or the Dan is, band. Uh, get the Dan band. Her boyfriend is, <laughs> the Dan band is amazing. Is George Harrison. So we did, we've done several music shows. We did like top five concerts we'd been to. And we did um, top five bands and top five out rock albums and stuff like that. And um, she, we found out a couple things. We found out that Aaron's wife, um, James Hatfield, is 10 out of 10 would bet. Oh, wow. Um, Why so do you think she's... She, 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 yeah, well, that <laughs> makes... And that <laughs> ding, 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 is, we have a winner. She has a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship with George Harrison. Fair. Yeah, she would leave me for George Harrison. She would. Fair. Which, <laughs> I mean, I for the record, <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, she respects that. Yeah, yeah. And we did top five vocalists, and her and I's lists were almost identical. We were, like, looking at each other, trying to... She stepped away on one of mine, and I yeah. stepped away on one of hers. So I, I, I went I went and got and I her. I stepped away on none of them. Yeah. So I went. You were I went, still googling. I went, <laughs> right. I went and got her. Uh, so I love vinyl, and that's I'll get to that in a second. But I went and got her Diva, uh, Annie Lennox, the Diva album. That was a she was thrilled so for that one. She one her one of her top five vocalists was Annie Lennox, and Aaron goes who who. Oh. I didn't. And like, her and I are looking at each other. Going, I knew the arhythmics. Yeah. I didn't know who. You, oh, he said that one, right? Yeah. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a mathematics? Did she do pavement cracks? Is that Annie Lennox? I believe so. That's her, right? Like, her favorite one is Y. That's, yeah. that's her. That's her I mean, name. I'm old enough. It's not, it's not Bjork? She, oh, she, she Bjork, likes Bjork, right? Bjork is yeah, her yeah, favorite. I thought you had, okay. Yep. I thought you had mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah Bjork's her favorite. And, we've, uh, and we just like a lot. So we sit on usually Thursday Simon, nights. Simon's we sit there and listen to Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Yeah. We'll listen By to the way, soft that rock from the 70s and whatever. Just <laughs> great music. The great part about music is in every genre, there's some great artists. Like, so like in his genre, there's artists that I really like. I won't tell him that. But there, I mean, one of my favorite five vocalists was Chester Bennington from yeah. Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. Yeah. Yep. It's one of my favorites. But, you know. And we've lost a lot of those guys that and I hers. would love to see. And they Cornell. could have had the long, yeah, Cornell. If we would have, have I was going to say, the longevity of those guys. Not so much Cobain, because it's not the lyrically thing. Yeah. But when you think about Bennington, you think about Cornell. Oh, you know, I mean, the guys that we've lost, it's it's crazy because you would wonder if they would be like your Pearl Jams, which obviously I put better on my top of my list. But would they would they have evolved like Lincoln Park was doing, or would they have went back to the old school if they had a 20, 30 year career? I mean, nobody We're can never s- gonna know. No, nobody can sing with peanut butter in their mouth like Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder, yeah. <laughs> peanut butter's awesome. <laughs> so are you criticizing peanut butter? Do no, I fucking love Eddie Vedder. It's, it's okay. the one like I'm, we always play a band on. I'm like Nicole, my other half. I'm like, who is this? She always has this fun thing. She's like, it's bowling for soup. And I was like, it's not bowling for soup, sweetheart. She just has this, she makes a joke out of it. But I will literally play like bowling for Cornell soup, and Vetter and Cobain and all these guys. And the only one that she can be like, oh, this is the Pearl Jam. That's Vetter's the only guy that she could pick out of a lineup of 30 people. You, you, do you I want, could be singing in one. She wouldn't even And a generation of singers I know. changed the way they sing to sound like him. Yeah. And none of them do. And none of them do. Right. Yep. So, I mean, when, Talk a, about staying when a voice like that comes out, and I know people do this because they do it in country music 100%. all the fucking time. Yep. And you just go, why are you trying to sound like Chris Stapleton? That's yeah. ridiculous. Easton Corbin sounds like George Strait. Well, let me tell you, that yes. is yeah. exactly how I make cigars. Right. Oh, good transition. You, no. There are so many people who become enamored with this new sound 
and immediately start chasing it. Yeah. The whole reason that sound exists is because that artist was inspired by everyone and found a way to channel that into something that is completely unique and standalone and identifiably so blind. Right. Miles was that way with trumpet. Yep. Vetter is that way vocally. Um, Sarah Vaughn. Ooh. I mean, there's so many. Sinatra, Tony Bennett. There's so many vocal, the Lincoln Park guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You hear it and it's unmistakable. Right. And the minute you hear anyone else, you know it's not them, but you also know they're trying so hard to, to sound like yeah. them. Yeah. And for all the effort it takes to get sound out of your voice, why would you want to sound like, like else. someone else? Why would you want to paint in the style of someone else? Right. Why would you want to create a dish that tastes as close to emerald as possible when you have all the skill set to sound like you, taste like you. That, for me, I find inspiration from chefs and winemakers and cigar makers, but then when it comes time to create my own, and hopefully this is true, when you taste, we're still smoking Suma, Mm -hmm. this does not taste like anything in the humidor. I agree with that. It has its own voice. Really it's its own song. Yeah. And no artist worth their salt is going to work this hard to be second place to the one that's already the best. Right. And I refuse to create that way. I want to, in my wildest dreams, I want to be the vetter of cigars. I want to be the Emerald of cigars. I want to be the Van Gogh of cigars where you can experience it blind and know that's Ferio because that is a unique voice of the artist. So how do you, do you start? Um, and I agree with you. I mean, the artists that I'm attracted to musically are always a unique voice. Um, not some the, of those not are the some, next Eddie Vedder, the no. first Michael Herklotz. Right. They're the next that's, Zach. That's what that's. And that's what's missed. It's they're the first missed. Zach Bryan. Who's, who's, oh, uh, who's fantastic. He sounds different than everybody else. But how do you how do you envision how, how does that happen? Because I, I like I really like this cigar, and and it is different. How do you go about do, cigars? I mean, there's so much there's so much music. There's so many cigars. You have to make the art that you want to make, and you don't make it for your audience. Okay. I mean, that's really. I'll tell you, Miles Davis has been a profound influence on me. And I didn't realize it until later. I'll make it a quick story. So I referenced earlier, I went to Berkeley. I had all the criteria to be in all these great bands. And one of the bands was the Miles Davis Ensemble. So I got, all the, I got the criteria. I practiced years and years and years, re-auditioned year after year after year to get the right ratings and the right criteria to be eligible for that band. Okay. And I showed up, and the chair was filled. Oof. But the Miles Davis II ensemble, the chair was open. I said, fuck it, I'm going to take it. Turns out the Miles Davis II ensemble was the Miles Davis Electric Ensemble. So it was the Miles Davis music post-rehab where he went all electric, abandoned the uh, small combo concept, and went to 
all electric stuff, electric keyboards, electric bass player, uh, effects on trumpet. Mm-hmm. I got into this band and I hated every minute of that semester. I didn't understand it because I was so stuck in my head that I wanted to be this classic Miles Davis, Blue Note Records, sure. John Coltrane, yeah. Giant Steps. You, you wanted Bill Evans, you got Chick Corea. Worse. <laughs> I got like Michael Jackson, which is, I just didn't understand yeah. it. Yeah. I'm sitting in my office one day at Nat Sherman. And so now this is 15 years after I graduated. And randomly, this song comes on, whatever I was listening to, Spotify. And it is human nature. Michael Jackson. But it's just instrumental. Okay. And this muted trumpet starts playing. Boop, boop. Beep, 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 boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Boop. And just, I was like, what is this? And then as soon as I heard it, I was like, wait a minute, this is, it's got to be Miles. I mean, that's Miles, so it's got to be Miles. So I turned it off and I Googled Miles Davis Human Nature and I found the concert, live concert video of this show. And Miles is in a stadium dressed like Michael Jackson in Thriller with this red leather thing with tens of thousands of people playing this song. And it was a huge light bulb for me because Miles got a lot of criticism, including from me, that this wasn't jazz. Well, it wasn't supposed to be. It was Miles. And it sounded like Miles in 1989 no different than it sounded like Miles in 1965. Right. But he was following his arc as an artist. Yeah. And in 1985, while he was playing for 50,000 people in a stadium playing Human Nature, they were loving it. the rest of these cats are still playing Blue Note with 65 people in the room. That was, that's the authentic voice I'm talking about. You know what I mean? He had a sound and an idea and he was pursuing his creative path. Yeah. And if you wanted to experience the old Miles, it was memorialized in his records and you could go get them. And for me, that's very Otago. If you want to experience the legacy Taste Metropolitan, because we're preserving it. Yeah. Taste Timeless, we're preserving it. Yeah. But if you want to taste the continuation of the creative process, man, check out Suma. Yeah. Check out Eleganzi and Generoso. Yeah. Get the Timeless TAA. Keep tasting the new work, because I'm not just recreating another 4-4 Michael Herklotz trio tune. You know, I'm migrating and evolving into Miles playing human nature. And if I'm doing it right, when you hear it, you know it's Miles. And hopefully that's the way our blends are working. That is such a great story. I love that you took that one in Lafayette to the guys, and I was 
It's such I was, a I, as soon story. as you start talking, I was like, listen, <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I, was like, I got excited. <laughs> I'm like, so because I, I will listen to that all day because then you pulled it up. You had him pull it up on Spotify and played it. I downloaded and I, every and, record and I that I loved it. That and I listened to it after I dropped you off and that trip was over. I was like, dude, this is something completely new because I've always listened to old stuff. I never even went into anything. It's a game changer. Nineties, like never. Well, it, it's like you know. I told awesome. you, I, I grew up with with a, in a jazz household. You know, I found like the Blue Note era, the late '50s, '60s. You know, when you know uh, Charles Mingus and Thelonious Monk and all that kind of stuff was really hot. But like, I grew up with my dad listening to like Spirogyra. Like that is a nice. different type of jazz. It's jazz, but it's definitely like it's acidy. It's it's new wave esque. It's. I had to do a semester of vibraphone. Uh huh. And Dave Samuels was my vibraphone teacher. Okay. From Spira. This man, he actually passed away not that long ago, but the guy had the patience of Jesus Christ himself with me <laughs> as a vibraphone student. My final was Autumn Leaves, and I had to do it in four mallets. He finally let me do it in two, and then he finally just saw that I was working so damn hard, and I just couldn't get it. I think he gave me a C plus just to get through it, because after my third time through, he's like, I think we're good. I see you understand it. The vibes are not for you. you drum set performance major? Yeah, yeah, you're good. We'll stick with that. Thank you very much. Well, the funny part is in country music, one of the things that's big right now is the country music's pivoting in 15 different ways. Some of it very poppy and whatever is... That's not the country music that I remember, right? Finally coming back. <clears throat> Some of it's coming back in really cool and creative different ways. But um, it doesn't sound like when Willie Nelson did it back in the 50s and all that. And the answer is those records still exist. And if we're still listening to music like existed in the 50s and early 60s, then music hasn't moved on at all. And some of it's very poppy and whatever, catchy and all that stuff. But some of that music is great, and you should listen to it. I, Aaron and I have had this conversation. Jason Isbell, oh who's, my God. who's one of my favorite artists, Mine too. is just doing some great things. And Zach Bryan is doing some great things. And it's the same thing with music moves on. If I ever feel happy and I want to feel sad, I just listen to Jason yeah, Isbell. Exactly. <laughs> Southeastern. You can go in the emotional roller coaster. Fucking pick up Tyler, Tyler Childers. Go <laughs> ahead. You just do this. <laughs> right. Fucking the point elephant. is, yeah, go, that just... music was a point in time. He's been there, though. Artists yeah. need oh, God, to progress. Yeah. Like, really but the new artists, you get lots of new artists that yeah. come in, and a new artist will come up with something that sounds old. Yeah. Their approach is slightly unique, but they have this very nostalgic... Yeah. old play and that's what brings back some of that some of the old style but if the old guys are just playing their old stuff yeah yeah it becomes a gimmick yeah it does you know what i mean then you might as well just keep be wearing just stay in bell bottoms and keep playing disco like you have to an artist has to progress it's the curse of an artist to just be forced to continue to play the same thing over and over again. You have to, you have to make new art and you have to find new ways of doing it and you have to move forward and you have to evolve. And when you look at the arc of an artist, historically, that's what people are impressed by. Right. When you see, well, they started with this and then, you know, oils progressed to watercolors, yeah, progressed so to sculpture, progressed nowadays, though, it yeah. really is. Well, it's, but it's, you know, it's the same in... It's the same as chefs. Winemakers do it. Yep. Cigar Stillers, makers yeah. should do it. 100%. Johnny Cash did it. Yep. For the, the, the great country example is 
Johnny Cash went from walk the line in the 60s and all that stuff to Folsom County Blues in yeah. Prison Blues. And then that, you know, the version of her towards the end of his life where he was progressing and really changing. But in general, a lot of people just want to stay at their early The artist doesn't. Here. The consumer does. Yeah. The consumer does. That's actually... It's like I, that goes actually, back to answering your question. Yeah. You have to make the art for you. you. Yep. And it's got to be your expression. And it, it may not be the same audience. That's what made Miles go from 80 people to 30,000. Right. Is because he was making music for new people. And so he was able to bring some along with them, but he was constantly getting new fans along the way. If all you do is play classic bebop, Mm. you're only going to keep the classic bebop audience. But if you're progressing, your fans stay with you, and you get new fans. And that's that's growth and progress. The tragedies is sometimes what really triggers it. People don't want to do the arc. They want to stay there. And sometimes they have to go through something. And and you you don't wish that on anybody. But we talk about some of the artists that we've named. They went through something. And because of that, here's the full circle example. We were, we announced Ferry Otego, Elegancia and Generoso as the first project for Ferry Otego. And it was a limited annual release in one size and two blends. That's how we started the show. One size, two blends, in a humidor of 10 cigars mm-hmm. for an opening release of $210 for that experience. I got a call the day after the press release from a blogger who said, we're writing a story about Elegancia and Generoso. Would you like to respond to the criticism about the price? And I said, my goodness, what happened? Tell me what the criticism is. Did it not did it not taste good? It didn't burn right? Did the humidor not work? Like what was the disappointment that wasn't worth the price? And the blogger said, Wait, is it out yet? And I said, No, actually it's not. Which is why I'm asking, what is the criticism of the price? Yeah. Because what you're doing is you are already assigning a value to, to me. Yeah. Not to my company, to me. Yeah. And so my response to your criticism is, wait. Yeah. And See, when it releases, then I will accept all feedback, then we positive and negative. Yeah. And when it released, all the criticism, for the most part, was it's not expensive enough for what it is. Did you talk to that set blogger again afterwards? Talk to him all the time. And? Did, what was his feedback at that point? Fabulous. Yeah, see, there you go. But was it general? It wasn't, it wasn't his. It wasn't his <laughs> criticism. No, it was somebody. Yeah, yeah. it was somebody else. Just goes, how's a new company? Third, and third we all party know we're in this but, business. Everybody's got but something that was, that's new at a crazy price point. Yeah. That is the perfect. Oh, that's not but, crazy. But, but it's not. But no, no, that's no, not a crazy price no, point. No, no. And I my agree. point is, that was my I, first thought. Is what? What do you mean? That's well. I'm just in general like that. That was the. That is the full circle experience of progression as an artist. Yeah. The expectation was, I'm just going to continue with Metropolitan and Timeless. Right. I'm going to bring you something else that's really good for $15. Yeah. Well, instead, I brought you something that is $50 for 21 And it punches above its weight. Yeah. That's it. Well, it's, yeah. kind of, it's like, I, I hate when people are like, oh, I like this sound. I hate how they change. One of my favorite Metallica albums is Saint Anger. Yeah. 
I love St. Anger. I do too. For the most part, Metallica fans hate that album because it doesn't sound like Ride the Lightning, like the Black Album. That's the like one what, that you can actually appreciate, yeah. though, later on yes. because of what they did. Yes. If you wanted an album that sounds like the Black Album, listen to the fucking yeah. Black Album. Yeah. I mean, it's just... You're like Ride the Lightning, that's my personal favorite album. Yeah. I can do that. Injustice but I for listen All? To everything. Like, yeah, yeah and that's it. it. But, like, they changed tones. They, like... I mean, fucking piccolo snare yeah. all over the place. Like, he just... <laughs> you know who really created that opportunity was MTV Unplugged. Yeah. Oh. They forced artists to play their hits differently. Yeah. And it was an opportunity for these guys you know. to play. And obviously, Nirvana's the best yeah. example of that. I agree. To play... Stone, Stone Temple Pilots, a yeah. close second then. Because that was... I missed that. Anybody that could do I that... I just realized none of you are open enough. For Awesome City Limits, because uh, that Awesome City Limits is that for a ton yeah. of bands. But yes, MTV Unplugged was great because you got to see bands in a raw form. So yeah. is now uh, NPR Tiny Room, Tiny, tiny, tiny Desk. Same. Tiny, love yeah, tiny, tiny, tiny Desk. Tiny desk. Oh, tiny I desk. love that. Yeah, and that, but no one criticizes that because it's forced and it meets expectations. Same with Unplugged. Yeah. You go in expecting it, yeah. and so you're open to it. Yeah, but the minute an artist does it on their own, you're criticized for thinking outside of the box. Well, like with Tinyness, what I love is like one week you'll have Mac Miller, next week you'll have Run the Jewels, and then like a month ago they had Guar. Who the fuck would have thought that Guar would Great. be on Tiny Dash? Now I gotta Google that because I haven't seen that, but that would be awesome. <laughs> it's because one of my it's unreal. Yeah. Tadashi Trucks Band. Oh, he of course. So I much talent. Yeah. yeah, I love them. Susan Tadashi is yeah, his, yeah, she's killer. She's right. my love in my life. My last music question for you. I'm walking, <clears throat> I'm walking down New York somewhere. I come across a little place. Little, it's seedy. It's dark inside. Red velvet. Smoky. On, the, on the, uh, the sandwich board, it has your name with a quartet. Who else is on that quartet playing? Dead or Alive. Yeah, fill, fill out the rest of the marquee. Alive, Christian McBride on bass. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, dead, Bill Evans on piano. I'm on drums. And alive, Joe Lovano on tenor sax, quartet. Wow. Okay. wow. Bill Evans, my favorite piano player. Coffee and Cigarettes is like probably one of the best albums, one of the best perfect. I albums. played, Joe Lovano started teaching at Berkeley my last year, and I played, I was the first drummer in his. Uh, Joe Lovano Ensemble. So I got to play with Joe for two semesters. Ridiculous. Awesome. I just, I just picked up, uh, it's an album from Guru. It's called Jazzmatazz. You ever heard that? No. So it's, uh, he, he's a, this, I think they came out in like 97 or so. He's a rapper, but he, he implements tons of jazz into it. And so he did a big curated effort with a bunch of artists. And one was, uh, Winston Marcellus's dad 
Yeah. On that. And I was like, I know, just reading through the, the notes and everything, like, I love Winston Marcellus now, especially what he does with uh, real jazz on XM and everything. But I was like, holy shit, like, this is old man Marcellus. Like, this is, this is good. It's awesome. I am, I am cigared out. I am musicked out. But it's like I told you, like, we, we talk cigars a little bit, but it's, music, it. music is our, I don't know which one's better. This is music I, I love the questions, and I love how, even when the questions were asked, even my, you can tell the passion that he has for both of those, both the cigar industry. Yeah. How it constantly goes back, how he's like, yes, I would pick this and this. I would mm. select this. This is what I would do. But, you know, and he'll go back, Ferio is this. Yeah. And, and the, the breakdown of how he does it, he's, I mean, analytically, yeah, educationally, I mean, yeah. it's, he's he's one of the one of the best and one of the few in the business doing what he's doing, and he's it's first generation, and it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's really cool to have been around him for twenty plus years and see this voyage being on the rep side, but like utmost respect and love for that, and and thank you guys for having us on and getting to talk about some stuff because that was, uh, yeah, very pleasurable. I yeah. think it was really enjoyable. I uh, this cigar is really really good. And so any, I mean, obviously this was the big release this year, right? So obviously you're working on whatever the next release is and you're not going to tell us about that, I'm sure. So, you know, I don't know. I'm really not. I mean, I'm, I was telling uh, BK earlier and, and Chad too. Any artist has a, has a notebook. Yeah. If you're a visual artist, you're constantly sketching. If you're a author, you're constantly writing. If you're a songwriter, you're constantly writing lyrics, or you're jotting down melodies, or you, something pops in your head and you, you don't want to lose it, so you write it down. But you don't finish it, you just put it in the book. Yeah. We do a lot of that with blending. Sure. But with handmade premium cigars, core is king. And when you commit to a core, I have an obligation to preserve and maintain the experience of that core in perpetuity unless I decide to kill it. Right. So I have 10 core blends in Ferriotego, five in Metropolitan, four in Timeless, and one in Ferriotego as Suma. It's not easy to take a sketch and finish the work and put out the song right but i have 10 songs that i have to make sure are spot on every year despite the fact that every year all the tobaccos in those blends are changing sure so if i'm going to dedicate my time and effort it's going to be there am i going to continue to just build my company the way others do with just another new shiny thing or am i going to make sure that the hits are the same way you remember them every single time you pick it up. Yeah. So my work and the factory work is focused on preserving and maintaining our core. That said, I have a very full notebook. <laughs> and so I am once a year always trying to bring one or two of those sketches to completion without necessarily releasing it, yeah. but just... I want to finish writing the song. Okay. So I have a couple of songs that are finished, 
But with Suma now out, Suma is a hit. And I want Suma to stay on the charts. And the last thing I want to do is release something else. I want to keep playing the songs that I've already written. So we've got 10 core. We've got another TAA coming out. We've got um, 2023 Elegancia and Generoso coming out. Um, we added a size and prestige this this uh, this summer with our Especiale, which is a Lancero. Okay. Ooh, so you, you may see some other sizes join um, existing blends, but I have a, a strong conviction we build a brand by proving ourselves for the long term. And that is through core. And that's through consistency in quality, over delivering in value. Every single time you pick up that cigar. So I've got, what I will tell you is what you should look forward to mm-hmm. is the next shipment of Suma and the next shipment of Timeless and the next shipment of Metropolitan yeah. because they, is, they are just as good as they were in 2012 when Timeless launched and 1995 when Metropolitan launched. Great answer. That's a great answer. I mean, to me, one of the most important things about cigars, and the reason I don't smoke some cigars that I like is because they're not consistent. We are one of the few portfolios that a retailer can have every blend that we offer with a reasonable footprint on the shelf. As somebody used to own a cigar shop, that means that the it's world. a lot of space, yeah. but it's not as much space as every blend that some of the other folks yeah. offer, where it's three, four new blends every year, yeah. year after year after year after year. How do you represent 150 blends on a shelf? And more importantly, how do you preserve and maintain 150 blends year after year right. in a factory? Yep. I'm, I'm sure they do it, but I know I can't. Right. And so I'm not going to. That's but consistency, like you said, Mark, is the key. Like people talk about, hey, what do you think about Cubans? What do you think about this brand? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, three of the four best cigars I've ever spoken in my life were Cuban. Three of the four worst cigars I ever spoken <laughs> in my life were Cuban. <laughs> yeah. And they were the that same is, cigar. And they were yeah. the same exact cigar. Yep. And that right. shows you what you can't replicate, what you can't do. So you focus on what you're good at. He's got 10 tracks out right now. Eventually, in the long run, we'll sit back 10 years and he'll have a double album. Yeah, and we'll yeah. be sitting there, and we're going to be replaying it over and over and over. Let's get this fucker diamond. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's exactly. Do it. Or we can be a religious album and go myrrh. Let's go myrrh. Well, I love the I love the art, and for a lot of people, the artist is just as is just as good. So this is a this has been a fun one. Spectacular. I just want you to love the songs that I'm writing. Yeah. Well, we do. Yep. Awesome. This has been awesome, guys. Yeah. Really, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, if I can leave you with a, with a request, if you enjoy a Ferriotego, would you take one more step and share your affection in whatever way you do that? Whether you post photos, post a photo and tag it. If you are not on social media, tell somebody at your favorite lounge what Ferriotego you love because that is an authentic endorsement of our work and once you do that 
you're giving people within your circle the social permission to love Ferry Otego as much as you do. And that will forever change the speed at which we can grow our business. And I'd be grateful. Yep. And I want to know what you're listening to then while you're smoking one of those cigars. So let me know. Because I want to know. <clears throat> so, yeah. Yeah. What, what other pairing? Yeah. yeah. Is it? Yeah. And what blend? Because yeah. those questions were asked earlier. And yeah. Yeah. That's a, it makes, it's a thinker. Uh-huh. It's yeah. a thinker. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's been a good one. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. You good? Thank you. Ferry Otego. <laughs> Later.